the Augustin Hosinga Show with your host Augustin Hosinga. Smack the shit out your bitch ass midget girlfriend, nigga. <laughs> The Agostino Zinger Show. I, your host, Agostino Zinger, and this is episode number 731. That is Siete Tres Uno with I, your host, your illustrious host, Agostino Zinger, and I hope you're doing well wherever this lovely, lovely podcast may find you. I hope you are doing swimmingly. How am I? Not the greatest, I'm not going to lie. Not the bloody greatest. I decided to watch some extended highlights of the game that was over the weekend where United lost 3-0 at home to Bournemouth just to give myself a refresh so I could have some actual insightful comments to make about the match. And I'm just as angry as I was when I watched the game on Saturday. I swear to God. Maybe one of our most... It wasn't a surprise result. But the performance still kind of caught me off guard. I think some of our fans got way too giddy about how we, you know, put aside Chelsea in the previous game. But now, having seen how Chelsea have performed and having seen how we have performed since then, it's clear to see that Chelsea are in far dire straits than we are. They're absolutely terrible. They're going through a really bad time. So when we beat Chelsea, it was less to do with us being amazing and Chelsea just being really, really bad because Bournemouth humbled us in a way that I've not seen in a long time. And it wasn't like they humbled us because they have far superior players than us. They don't, right? I don't think any United fan, even myself, the most cynical of United fans, could sit here and say there are many Bournemouth players that I would swap for our players. But what they do have it's a collective mentality they have a style of play they have players who are ready to die and commit and you know and really run their socks off for the badge they have a manager who has a real handle on these players and who does what and what does what whatever it may be and they play a really really attractive brand of football if anything one thing i noticed in the game if you actually look through the stats i've got the stats here on the google and it actually says here, which is weird, if you watch the game, it didn't feel like that. But the stats here say that we had 20 shots to Bournemouth's 10. Now, I will tell you here with a straight face that I think the 3-0 scoreline flattered us. I think Bournemouth should have won by 5. Easy. They should have won by 5. And the fact that they didn't win by 5 was more to do with their maybe poor finishing and maybe our ability to maybe, you know, be lucky with some of the fucking goalkeeping decisions, whatever it may be, or offside calls, than it was to them actually not being dominated the game. They actually dominated the majority of the game. That's why sometimes you have to really take a a closer look at statistics because they never told the full story because on the statistics side of things it says that we had 20 shots they had 10 we had three shots on target they had four but even just that that statistic which i just read if they had only four shots on target but they scored from three that shows you that they were playing at a far more efficient level than us and it's something that i kind of saw that i thought was really smart about bournemouth i felt as if they lulled us into a false sense of security they had a very interesting way of playing. Instead of trying to dominate the possession and have control of the game, 
they tried to lull us into a false sense of security. They immediately started the game, or we started the game at home, which is very strange, with no control. It felt like a basketball game from minute zero, which I always hate. I feel like when we're at home, we should always have control of the game. We should always be imposing our style of play um, against the opposition. It's our home. It's our fortress. That's where, you know, you're kind of, you know, your bread is buttered so, so, without, you know, for lack of a better term. But we didn't do that. It immediately turned into a basketball game. And then, you know, Bournemouth took advantage of that and scored um, by kind of, if I'm not mistaken, nicking the ball off us from the right-hand side, playing a really good ball in the middle, and then bang, Dominic Solanke kind of slots it in. We made Dominic Solanke, again, he's been on a good run, but, you know, he's not a world beater. But we made Dominic Solanke look like fucking Nicholas Anelka. He was terrorising us. He probably should have had a hat-trick if he really was on his game. He actually, you know, his finishes were very, very well. He finished very well, to be honest, and he was always a constant threat. He gave Maguire an absolute horrible time, which is, again, evidence of Maguire's maybe, you know, play of the month flipping award being a little bit, a little bit premature. Maguire might be good in terms of the battle and the fucking, he loves a good aggressive one-on-one battle with the striker. But when it comes to someone like Douglas Solanke, he's, he, he wants to get physical. He can stick tight. He can also run behind. He can receive the ball up to feet in the air. He's kind of a well-rounded striker in that regard. Then Maguire had no answers for him whatsoever. So it really did put into perspective just how far Maguire is from the top level and the fact that we still need to move on from him regardless of how much he's done well over the last few months and stuff coming back into the team and cementing his place and keeping Varane out when it comes to top level quality he really isn't it but again it's not about individuals when it comes to this game I reckon like I said before we definitely should have lost by way more goals I was surprised that we didn't we didn't really you know really I felt like have a real grip or control in the game if there are one slight probably positives to take from this I would say maybe Arabat's performance i thought amrabat that might have been um amrabat's best game for united in a long time um but i still think you know eric, eric ten Hag basically fucked him with the tactics because essentially even though it looks like on the lineup here via google that we played a a four a four two three one we actually played a four one uh two three one right so there's only one defensive um d- defensive playmaker playing there at the back when i when i think most people myself included would say you know considering the injuries you have in defense and considering how open we are we probably need to have two double pivots here we probably need to have two dms playing in that position maybe one dm can be a little bit more progressive um but you can't have just amrabat or whoever it may be playing that role all by themselves because they end up having to do the job of two people and when it comes to the tactics and the formation this is one thing that's really making me struggle in terms of having patience with Eric Ten Hag because I look at this lineup and I'm saying to myself obviously the lineup isn't great fair enough but there's some players here who are on good form like McTominay but he's clearly not a good midfielder we all know this we know he's not the level that United need to really go anywhere he's probably not on a level even to play with the Premier League he's probably lucky to get into the fucking Crystal Palace team he's pretty shit on the ball but one thing he does really well is finish He's really good in the box, as he's shown in recent weeks. I think he's he, he might even be our top scorer this season. I'm not really too sure. But he finishes really well. So why not play McTominay further up the pitch? Or maybe play him alongside Martial. Why not as a fucking second striker? And then play Bruno Fernandes a bit deep. 
in that position so that he can maybe spray balls from that angle but also offer protection in the back that might be a better way to go about it but we didn't instead we have McTominay playing really far ahead we have Bruno moving around where he wanted to move around so essentially he always left Amrabat in that position by himself so whenever um, Bournemouth did attack us on a transition and they did kind of you know nip in and cut balls out which they did really well there was a few times I think they a few of their plays basically I felt like they were targeting McTominay because they knew his first touch wasn't great so a few Bournemouth players would nip in in front of McTominay get the ball and whenever they got got the ball past McTominay they effectively bypassed our entire attack and they headed straight to the defense so there's only one line of defense left for them to kind of penetrate which is why they probably were able to get to our goal so quickly so it was a really weird um performance very strange lineup and form and tactics from the manager but considering how we've been this season it wasn't that surprising I think one thing that's been a consistency uh, what's been a consistent theme with United this season is our level of inconsistency just when there's pressure mounting on a manager people want the manager to be gone people are spitting feathers about the players the players seem to kind of pull it out of the bag and get a result to kind of stem the pressure to get the pressure off their back sorry and kind of let people leave them alone and the same thing happened against Chelsea then we go you know playing at home against Bournemouth fans get giddy and then, of course, the players end up reverting back to form and being utterly inconsistent once again. So I'm not going to be surprised if at the game against Bayern Munich later on tonight, most likely we might end up getting a good result. Now, this, it's unlikely we're going to qualify anyway for the next round of the Champions League. I don't want us to qualify, personally, if it was me. I feel like the players, the club, the manager don't don't deserve to be in that competition. They don't deserve, they don't deserve sorry, to get rewarded in that way. And I also think, you know, there's no point of being in those type of competitions if you're not going to win it. We have no chance of winning the Champions League anyway, so why bother trying to be in it? I'd much rather we get knocked out. But I wouldn't be surprised if these absolute dickheads of players decide to pull it out of the bag and pull in the performance especially off the back of Bayern Munich losing I think 5-1 to Eintracht Frankfurt the other day which I watched the game here and there I had it on the stream and I did see the game and it wasn't a 5-1 game to be honest um Bayern Munich did miss a lot of chances so I'm not really too sure if that was a good illustration of their level of performances so I don't think that 5-1 is really illustrative of the control that by Leverkusen or sorry um, that Frankfurt had on the game overall but we're going to wait to see what happens later on but Bournemouth deserved to win give them full credit the tactics from their manager was spot on they're on a good run of form all their players know exactly what they're doing. They took advantage. Um, they were able to bloody, you know, target some of our players who aren't the greatest on the ball. Um, there were some instances, especially with Luke Shaw, I think that led to maybe the second goal from Billing, where he gave the ball away. And then at the end, he ends up getting bullied at the back post with the header. So a lot of our players got run ragged and got knocked to left, to right and centre. And if anything, it just made us question more what our long-term prospects are under the current ownership of the Glazers and also under the stewardship of Eric Ten Hag because a part of me feels like as much as I know this result isn't a direct result of just Eric Ten Hag alone and isn't the fault of just the players alone, it's systemic of the whole structure of the club, there still needs to be some consequences. There has to be consequences for winning against Chelsea and then turning in a performance where you lose 3-0 at home to fucking Bournemouth. There has to be consequences for it and I feel like consequences for that is that Eric Ten Hag's job should be under pressure. He shouldn't feel like, oh, because the owners aren't great, I'm going to be here regardless because the players are more toxic. No, the players are more toxic. The owners are terrible. But the manager that we have now is pretty average too. I think all three things can be correct. And if anything, for me, the really disappointing thing about Eric Ten Hag has been that I feel like he's been the greatest managerial catfish of all time. 
um, he he came in with this, you know, we a lot of us, myself included, fans saw the way Ajax played, and I think a lot of us felt like, oh, if we're not going to win things, at least we're going to play good football. At least we're going to have, you know, interest. You know, we're going to have exciting games. We're going to play fast, fluid, attacking football. We're going to have control of the ball. We're going to have all these patterns of play, these triangles. We're going to develop players, blah, 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 whatever it may be. We're going to change the profile of the whole squad. But instead, what he ended up doing is reverting to type. He ended up, you know, with a very dodgy and patchy transfer um, history. And just in general, the style of play that we have now at the moment, which is meant to be long ball, isn't really long ball isn't really attractive and isn't really getting us the results that we need so we don't play good football on the ice so we're not entertaining to watch we're not going to win anything anytime soon and we have probably one of the worst set of players to ever try and get behind in the history of United in a long long time a lot of those players I absolutely detest and hate if it was up to me I'd get rid of maybe 10 of the first teamers that started um, the game against Bournemouth legit plus whoever else is on the bench I want a complete overhaul and a restart um, and, and it, you know, it includes all the favourites, like the fucking Bruno Fernandes of all this, like the Maguires, the Shaws, the, Ant- the Anthony Martials. I want all of those players gone and I want a complete restart, but that's not going to happen anytime soon. So the only thing we can kind of hope for is that we go on a horrible run where we consistently lose matches and maybe the pressure then will be, you know, something that the owners can't ignore and they'll have to fucking get the partial ownership with Sergeant Ratcliffe done, so, you know, sooner rather than later which again we have no confirmation on that either so another horrible performance from us i'm not really looking forward to the Bayern munich game later tonight but i wouldn't be surprised if these fucking shit stained players end up um pulling it out of the bag and putting in a good performance and winning even though it's not in our hands really i think if i'm not mistaken even if we beat Bayern munich we still have to hope the other teams in our group draw which is you know whatever um so you know, it, it's not likely that we're going to win because we have to win our game and hope another result goes for us. So it's not in our control. I don't want us to go through a Champions League anyway. I don't want us to be in the Europa League. I want us out of all European competitions. I want the coach to focus on coaching us during the week, if, if that's possible. And I want all the pressure to be back on the players again for getting us knocked out. But the manager does need to go in one way, shape or form. Even if the new owners come in, the manager does need to go. He is not a good manager. He's not of the level that we need. And the style of play that we have at the moment, the profile of the players, the tactics, the substitutions, which are fucking annoying, everything about the team, it just pisses me off. So I'd much rather have a clean overhaul, players, managers, everybody gone and then start again. But most likely that's not going to happen anytime soon. That's not going to happen anytime soon. And then continuing on from that, um, we also have this com- article here, courtesy of Sky Sports News, where it says Eric Ten Hag must ins- insist Man United must change their mentality, which is interesting, right? He says we must change our mentality, but isn't he the manager? Isn't he the one that instills the mentality in the players? But he's telling us we must change our mentality. Bro, why don't you change it? Do something, family. Fucking hell. Um, this is courtesy of um, Sky Sports News. Erickson Hawk said his Manchester United players must change their mentality after they capitulated to a crushing 3-0 loss against Bournemouth. Uh, Dominic Solanke, Philip Billing and Marco Sensi were on target for the visitors, condemning the host to a seventh Premier League loss. We've already lost seven Premier League games. God almighty. Having lost um, further ground on the race to the top four, that's not happening anyway. We'll, that'll also be a good thing. We don't deserve top four. Hope we don't get it. Um, and he says here the quote, that is always the question, he said, when asked how to explain such a poor performance, only three days after beating Chelsea. As a coach, you're questioning that 
that after what happened um we started very poorly there's where i think it's a big difference i think to chelsea we started the game very well and we we're aggressive and very focused and say we weren't i think the issue of the start which is i agree with him has a lot to do with the manager because i feel like the players maybe took bournemouth for granted i think they just saw the badge they saw the club but they didn't see the form they're probably if i'm not mistaken one of the informed teams in the league at the moment outside of the usual suspects and um, i've watched them play even when they were losing they were playing some good attractive football they were just missing chances and making some individual mistakes at the back as the teams in the lower part of the league do but they were playing some good stuff so i wasn't surprised at the style of play that they enacted and the position that they had and the threats on goal and whatnot but i think our players took them for granted they really did think it was going they were just going to turn up and beat them which again is poor mentality wise from the players but I think that's something the manager has to instill and if you can't instill it he has to get rid of the players who have that kind of mentality and or just not play them you know because something that people will say oh who are you gonna who are you gonna replace or how are you gonna get rid of them top managers I feel like decide who their players are they decide who's going to help them you know get closer to their goals or whatever it may be or achieve their targets whoever doesn't want to achieve your targets treat them like how you treated Jaden Sancho you know put them in the reserves but he doesn't instead he picks fights gets into dumb beefs with players now allegedly he, there's some passer with Rafael Varane happening which is odd because in Rafael Varane's entire professional career we've never heard him having an issue with the manager but suddenly he has an issue with Eric Ten Hag what a coincidence it continues. Of Bournemouth's second goal scored soon after the uh, Bruno Fernandes um, had seen his penalty turned down and Diego Dalot had fired a shot from the side netting. Oh my God, that pissed me off so much. I'm also fed up with Diego Dalot. I'm over him. That guy is very overrated. Um, definitely not what we need long term and now we'll be happy to see him go also. That chance that he had, which again, to be fair to Diego, to Diego Dalot, he did create that chance out of the blue for himself. He kind of had the ball on the right. He passed that thing to Anthony. One, two, back into the box again and the easy thing to do in that position the more chances of scoring is to cross the ball into the box to either um what you call it, to Hoyland's um, direction in the hope that Hoyland connects with it or that it might ricochet and deflect off a defender. But instead, he tries to shoot from a cute angle and it obviously hits the side netting. Absolute waste of a chance. Allegedly, all the fans in the crowd also let, it, let, let him know that he fucked up. But, you know, he didn't even look at Hoyland. He didn't even look at him. And I think that's the most concerning part about it is that we've signed Rasmus Hoyland and he's looking really average for us but it's not really his fault he's doing the graveyard shift that Martial used to do where we don't really have patterns of play and styles of play that bring the best out of him I think for our strikers the last time I can think of a good style of play that really brought the best out of our strikers was probably Ole Gunnar Solskjaer when we played that fast attacking counter-attack football and maybe LVG with Martial right in that there was patterns of play that brought the best out of those players but so far with Hoyland there doesn't seem to be a plan in place for him. He just seems to be doing fucking doggies up front. Do you know what I mean? Running from defender to defender, trying to close and down to get on the ball. But it doesn't seem to be a pattern of play that brings the best out of him, whether it's balls into the near post, balls to the back post, balls to the penalty area, balls outside the box, balls over the top. There's no patterns of play that bring the best out of him. He just has to freestyle it. So I really do feel for him because he's feeding on absolute scraps. Um, anyway, according to Dergo, the low fighter was Sean Netting. Ten Hag said, We got a shot, penalty, no penalty, and then straight after that, we considered a goal, and that is should never happen. It continues here. All three Bournemouth goals stem from United's sloppiness. Izaki with the opening score by Solanke in the fifth minute, setting the tone for a shambolic defensive performance as Lewis Cook cut out Fernandez's poor pass before breezing past off in Arabat. And Fernandez, too, Bruno Fernandez purposely getting booked so he doesn't have to play against Liverpool. 
absolutely pathetic absolutely shambolic absolutely pathetic and again goes to show the lack of character the lack of mentality the lack of courage and just the weird nature of the players that we have now at the moment where we have our captain purposely getting booked against Bournemouth so they don't have to play against Liverpool because most of us know most cynical most realistic sorry not cynical most realistic United fans expect us to get absolutely battered by Liverpool that's definitely going to happen they just they 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 play a brand of football that our players just cannot handle that fast attacking pressing um you know attacking you know dominating football is just going to absolutely breeze past us and Brivan is now being banned so he's not going to play so we need to see how who he actually picks instead of him actually um I'd like to see Donny Van Beek play but that's not going to happen it continues here it was our build-up um it was our fault in the build-up to Ten Hag um we we knew they were aggressive in the pressing you shouldn't give the ball away so easily then defending in the transition we gave them too much space it continues it's a good goal from their side but from our side you can't start like this you have to get better position and it all has to do with focus and again all of this is his fault all of this is Eric Ten Hag's fault this lack of focus this this conceding goals within the first five minutes at home that lack of focus, that lack of concentration has to do with the managers and what he's instilling in these players. Like It should be a sackable, almost finable offence for us to start a game at home and concede within the first 10, 15 minutes. Honestly, it should be, especially against Bournemouth-level opposition. Maybe against a bigger side, fair enough, but we should be able to weather the storm against a club like Bournemouth and kind of, again, we might get a dominated position for the first 5 or 10 minutes, we should be able to weather that storm and then get control of the game. Allowing them to take fucking control of the game in that way was absolutely unforgivable. It continues. I think in the first half already, we had a good tempo, also good att- um, good attacks. We came to the box. We didn't create so much in the box. We continued to score in the second half, but the breakdown was in the second goal. I referred to the game from Chelsea. You have to be our best in every game. The demands of a lot of energy, starting with the right, what? With the right focus when you start like we did. It was a good opponent. They played very well and very dynamic so credit to them you have to deliver every day the demands uh, mentality so you have to bring it we have to change that and that's the thing with Ericsson Hogg as much as I would rather if you gave me a scenario where you said that you know who would I pick first in terms of getting fired from this club who would I pick first for a restart I would say get rid of the majority of that first team maybe 13 of those players and I mean first team players that includes the likes of Bruno Fernandes, Harry Maguire, Luke Shaw's, the Lindelof's, um, the Rashford's, the Martial's, all these guys right the McTominay's I'd get rid of all of them before I get rid of Eric Ten Hag but at the moment he's doing such a bad job that he's gonna get himself fired because the the fans online are just going to point to the manager because that's what all man, all fans do really because he's the easiest person to change. It's really difficult to get rid of 13 players at once. We can do it. I'd like to see it happen. You know, maybe you put half of them on a transfer list and the other half, if you can't get sell them, just fucking terminate their contract. Like we should be able to do that, especially some of the guys that have been here for near on 10 years. Enough is enough. But if Ericton Hart continues with the way this team is, the tactics, the formations, the fucking substitutions, the poor mentality, if this continues, he's just going to get himself fired and you have no one else to blame. So it kind of is what it is. Let's see how it kind of plays out, but I'm not looking forward to this fucking Bayern Munich game later on down the line. Um, 
And then to kind of end it, we have to have this article called of Sky Sports News regarding Scott McTominay saying there's no more toxicity at United. I don't want to hear from Scott McTominay. I swear to God, I don't want to hear from him. He's lucky to still be at the club. If United were where we were, where we meant to be back in the day, he would never be playing for us at this level or with this level of importance. The fact that he's that important to us as a team, the fact that we're having to depend on the likes of McTominay and Maguire says everything about where we are currently. But again, he's one of the only players that actually doesn't mind speaking to the press he has enough courage to actually speak and say his piece even if some of the stuff I don't agree with him so fair enough in that regard but this is you know emblematic I feel like of where we are as a team because you know he was also meant to be sold in the summer but you know it didn't happen but whatever let's continue with the article um McTominay who's worked under Jose Mourinho Liga on Solskjaer and Ralph Ragnick admits it's been a problem on the previous coaches but the midfielder has come out and defended Ten Hag of course he's going to defend him because he's playing as well he says we have big characters in the dressing room. It's not like other managers where it's been toxic at times. The boys are firmly behind the manager. Of course they are, because I think the there is also, I feel like, a feeling behind some of these players. They know if Eric Ten Hag gets sacked, they're next on the chopping block. Whoever the next manager is after Eric Ten Hag, they're going to get a lot more time and a lot more grace. These players have completely, I feel like, tested the patience of the fans. Even players like Rashford, right like horrendous like he came on against Bournemouth did absolutely nothing he was running back trying to track back and whatever it may be but he was absolutely pants I think the fans are finally fed up with these players so these players know they have to kind of back the manager they kind of have to put performances in for him because if not if he gets fired the next on chopping block are these players um players can get lost in translation um we just want to do well for the club it's as simple as that yeah right allegedly yeah fucking right um, but Tenag is still his faith in the misfiring quad. He's also relying on Galatasaray to draw another year. So exactly. We have to hope that Galatasaray and FC Copenhagen draw, which is not going to happen because they both have to, if they both win, they, they, they guarantee, um, you know, progression for themselves in the fucking competition. And it's going to be an attacking game, I would imagine. Um, Copenhagen play good attacking football. So does Galatasaray. So it's going to be a very open game, end to end stuff. I don't see a draw happening personally. And I personally don't want us to go through. We don't deserve to be rewarded in that way. Um, it continues to say our, our team gives me hope. <sighs> Honestly, Ericton Hugs full of shit. We are not consistent, but we have also very good performances and highs. What? What highs? Are, honestly, I don't know if he says this like he means this or if he's saying this to just G up the players, but what good performances and highs have we had? Really? Consistently over the season. When we get it, we are able to beat any opponent. Yeah, but it's not consistent enough. That's a problem. The game against Chelsea and Everton, the games against Galatasaray, I know this team can perform at really high levels. Again, I don't think they're really high level performances. I think, if anything, we took advantage of teams that didn't play well. Um, it's not that we did three months ago. We did it last week. We have a great right mood, spirit, and everyone is ready for it. Then we are able to do it. He says, Old Trafford is not quite a nice place to come for an opponent, but we know it starts with us. It's, it's always been a nice place with Ericsson Hogg. This current United team have made it a nice place. There's a very strong bond between the team and the fans. They're always behind us. When we have setbacks, we have to take it. And this two short comments from him are really strange. This one here, right? Where he says, I sympathize with Ten Hag. I'm not too sure if Tuchel thinks if he gets fired from Bayern Munich that he's next in line for United job, but he seems to be overly positive and gracious when it comes to talking about United. Maybe because, I don't know, maybe he's been sounded out in the background to take over United, but the comments from Tuchel were very interesting. Um, let me read them for you. He says, I sympathize with all my colleagues, no matter whether they are, um, they have a change of ownership or not. I know it's sometimes demanding and sometimes more difficult than it looks from the outside. Um, I think I know what it takes to manage big clubs. Hmm. 
Is he too, does he want to be United manager? And big players, and it's sometimes demanding and sometimes there are periods where you feel stuck or the changes are not coming quickly enough for you as a coach. It's why I sympathise really for my colleague, but not tomorrow. Um, we will try to beat him and use the stage to make the next step in our development. We still have a long way to go and need to be very tough to withstand the energy in the club um, that is here. I'm pretty sure United will bounce back like always. It sounds like he's, I wouldn't say twerking for us, but it does sound like he's flirting with us a little bit. A two sure there. So let's see what happens. Um, a game against fucking um, Bayern Munich. Um, I'm not looking forward to it, to be fair. I've got to be honest. And I also don't think we deserve to go through. So I hope we lose. I'm not going to lie. I absolutely hope we fucking lose. Moving on quickly from that, I wanted to quickly mention and talk about Hoare Berlin. Just as another analysis of things I've been checking online. Obviously, since the whole um, tragic events that have transpired over there in Gaza, the ongoing conflict there between Gaza and Israel has been really heartbreaking to watch. But some of the some of the fucking consequences of that have been very interesting when it comes to dance music, because I wasn't aware of just how many people from Israel are involved in different parts of dance music when it comes to the infrastructure and streaming platforms, whatever it may be. And one of them being Hor Berlin. I think the two founders are from Israel. They may have served in the Israel army back in the day, which again, isn't that bad of a thing, because if I'm not mistaken, um, you have to, it's kind of compulsory to be um, within, to, you know, to, to uh, what you got to enlist in the Israel army, the IDF at some point. But since everything's been happening in Gaza and the tragedy has been happening over there and the genocide and the scores of people have been, you know, um, they've been taken hostage and murdered and kids and whatnot. People have been looking at platforms at whore and wanting a stronger response for them online. They've decided to be a bit neutral. They came out with a weird statement. Then they came out with this weird email. And it just seems like they haven't been able to say the right thing to appease the fans. And for the most part, it seems like the majority of techno Twitter or techno social media has basically cancelled Hall Berlin. They're kind of on timeout, it feels like. And I just checked their YouTube recently. And it does feel that way. There's not a lot of mixes on there. Um, if you look on the live page, cause I think they, they upload videos, you know, obviously of the, of the live stream mixes they do. And there's not many recent ones. The last one that he had recent was a DJ called Hayden who played two days ago. Um, and then before that is Crisco two days ago, another one three days ago, four days ago. There's big gaps. And if you scroll to, you know, and if you know anything about Hall Berlin, they were streaming effectively 10 hours or eight hours a day you know six hours fix six days per week they will consistently have new streams on there all the time so it feels like people have maybe boycotted um whore as a platform and they're not maybe sharing or pushing out as many mixes as they did in the past even the ones that have been pre-recorded the last one uploaded a pre-recorded mix was 11 days ago so clearly there's been i feel like a a timeout for a lot of people on there, which is, which is sad really to see because, um, when I first stumbled upon Hall, that was during the pandemic. They were really cool because it provided like some respite and relief from people like myself who are obsessed with techno and dub and clubbing and whatnot to actually have the ability to maybe see DJs play, have a bit of a skank in your own living room and whatnot, get on it and whatever and keep it moving. Um, and obviously as well, one of the good things that they did was that when it first started anyway, it felt like they were given a platform and opportunity to just about everybody that's connected with the dance music scene over there in Berlin. So you got to see some people who you probably would have never heard of from that scene kind of go through their 
you know, their initial stages of maybe blowing up. Like, I'm, one I can think of that is that guy called um, M4A something. I forgot how you say his name. And um, Patrick Mason was another that I saw blow up on here. And a few other did you see them kind of blow up in fucking real time, which is really, really cool to see. And also, you got to see a lot of the heads, a lot of the inside of people you probably would have never seen. Um, I think I even stumbled across multi-sex DJs via maybe Whore and a few other people. So they did a really good job in terms of um, platforming and highlighting and giving a, pla- you know, and shining a light on people who maybe wouldn't have had that light um because they maybe weren't boiler room level quality just yet or notoriety or fame but they still were really really good level because you'd imagine you know a place like berlin with it being the mecca and the home of you know dance music and clubbing and shit you know the the average level of djs over there is probably really high because there's so many people in there involved in dance music you know you'd imagine there's so much un- untapped talent there but unfortunately it looks like whore is on the wane so i don't know what's going to happen to fix it i don't know if they need to put out another statement but again it looks like it's really really low in terms of new uploads i guess for someone like myself and i become a dj who wants to kind of get his foot in the industry maybe it's the perfect time to go and reach out to them to get you know an opportunity to do a mix of them i'm sure their calendar is a lot more free than it was prior but i'm not gonna lie as a punter just looking on the outside it's kind of sad to see you know they were doing great things and now you know for 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 you know for things that are not really their own fault you know because you know the the war broke out and you know that's not something that they could be blamed for but even their reaction maybe is not something they could be blamed for either because if you're actually israeli you probably have conflicting opinions about what's happening over there in gaza um you probably have different opinions about how your country's um you know do going about things over there so maybe you have a right to say what you want to say but unfortunately with the majority of i feel like dance music community being more so on the side of the oppressor of the of the of the group of people who are being oppressed and not the oppressor you're always going to look a bit funny if you are um coming out with those weird statements but i think personally the thing that probably killed them the most was when those people those djs came out and basically said um that whole were telling them that they couldn't wear certain items that were you know basically um you know in favor of protesting against the war or basically you know siding more with palestine that was what i think kind of fucked them the most you know what i mean because then you are censoring people you're actively trying to censor people and telling them they can't wear certain items and again there is a there is some sympathy I have there because if you're actually Israeli, I can understand why you would like to see somebody with a t-shirt that has some sort of iconography on it that maybe is insulting to your country. I get it. But considering how sensitive and tight everything is, it seems that they really shot themselves in the foot. And now it looks like it's quiet for them on there. It's absolutely quiet for them. There's nothing new on there. It's not being updated as much as it was. And again, maybe it's, maybe it's more to do with this time of the season, time of the year. Sorry. Maybe things are winding down with it heading into Christmas, but it looks like there's not many new mixes that have been put out there. That I have seen a few DJs on my side of techno social media that have been saying that they've been contacting the whore directly and telling them to take their mixes down. So it's clearly they're doing this, you know, it's clear there's been a concerted effort with some people to kind of, you know, step back from whore as a platform. So it's sad to see them not be where they once were, but I guess it's the name of the game and most likely they'll end up being another platform popping out that'll probably take their space and occupy that space from now on. But let's see how it transpires. We'll love to see how this transpires there's this interesting article that i wanted to also talk about regarding elon musk on business insider elon musk has had a really interesting i feel like last what maybe two and a half years or something where his public persona reputation or how he's just looked at has really changed and for the worse and it's odd for me because i came into being an elon musk fan mostly based on startup stuff right 
with him being an entrepreneur, with him being a tech guy, with all the stuff, you know, regarding SpaceX, all the things regarding Tesla, the boring company, which is something that I've been obsessed with for the minute zero, right? This idea of, you know, um, alleviating traffic in metropolitan areas by having all these tunnels that cars could go under and stuff and having these little buses that people could get in and stuff and get people A and B really quickly and shit. All stuff is really incredible to me, especially when, uh, when I saw that SpaceX stuff for the point to point travel, which I think has been scrapped for now, but that seemed amazing. The idea that you could get in a SpaceX, in a SpaceX rocket, which back in the day, I think was called a BFR. And you could basically do a point to point travel and get from like New York to London in a couple of hours, if not an hour's time, which would obviously completely change and, you know, transform travel as we know it. Um, so I looked at him as that. And obviously having read the Ashley Vance, um, book on Elon Musk, which is one of the best, I feel like I still haven't finished the actual autobiography by Walter Isaacson that's behind me, but there's a really good Ashley Vance, um, book that I kind of listened to on the audio book that was incredible. But ever since then, with his, with his, I feel like, with his um with his need to want to be in the public eye and how exposed he is you're hearing more of Elon and it doesn't sound good so that's why maybe reputations kind of flounder so I'm interested to see what this business side of the article is about but the title of the business article, business side of the article is Elon Musk luck has finally run out and obviously I'll put the link in the description for those of you that want to read it yourself so it says Elon Musk was on a heater from 2019 to 2022 it seemed as if every gamble that Elon Musk took was paying off Tesla was consistently profitable for the first time in its history and the stock soared as its massive new Shanghai plant ramped up production. SpaceX rockets captivated the public's attention. Accusation of corruption and self-dealing um, slid off Musk's back, and Musk could do and say anything he wanted. Then Musk did what every risk-addicted blackjack player inevitably does. He pushed his luck too far. Overconfidence, confirmation bias, and delusions of uh, delusions of grandeur assuming control led to a string of bad decisions. And boom, Elon's empire is in trouble again. The change of fortune has apparent at the New York Times deadlock um, dead book conference last week. Yeah, I remember this one. During an interview with host uh, uh, Andrew Ross Sorkin, the recognizable tells uh, must hand had gone cold where every um were everywhere. Um, he raged at the very people who would di dictate um, Twitter's fate. He seemed baffled by the questions about the future of his companies and offered known apologies for his unhinged antisocial behavior online. Sorkin suggested Musk's brain is like a storm, but it sounded like two cats fighting to get out of a duffel bag. If anything, I feel like maybe Musk is going through that same thing that Ye goes through, where when you make as much money and you're as successful as those guys, it can be really maybe insulting to your intelligence to have people question your decisions to have people doubt you to have people maybe ask you to explain yourself or whatever it may be it can just really piss you off and kind of you know make you double down on whatever decisions that you do make or stance that you have just to spite them maybe that's part of it maybe that success makes you think that you're impervious to feedback pushback critique or whatever maybe who knows it continues um this ladies and gentlemen is what it looks like when musk realizes he's in a jam entirely of his own making i know because we've seen it before including back in 2018 when he nearly flew tesla into the mountain he may find a way to ward off calamity as he did then but his jam is much tighter than the last one musk has contended um with over 13 billion of debt we're still weighing down a swiftly sinking twitter tesla's profits are shrinking because of a lack of demand and the new products and the world is generally sick of his shtick in must land everything is connected by money problems are one problems are one problems at one business bleeding to others and that's why elon is exceptionally obstinate and it's not just an imagination his luck has changed 
I disagree with this. I feel like there's a lot of glee. Obviously, Business Insider have a lot of like, you know, they're frothing at their mouth for Elon to fail. But I think one of the things that's that kind of, I feel like put is, is going to help Elon and someone like a Ye too. They are geniuses when it comes to the products that they put out. And people love them so much. So I feel like if Elon decides to take a step back from the public eye and not be as visible, not be as vocal and let his products and his company speak for themselves, I feel like that, you know, whatever bad sentiment is being levied against his companies or him personally will definitely wane. But the more they speak, the more they're in the public eye, the more they're caught in public attention or whatever it may be, that's when things kind of change. But because the product is so good, if he just decides to go quiet for a couple of months, it all kind of resets again. So I don't think it's that big of an issue. If anything, the other issue is more so the idea of like how many corporate interests has he actually pissed off, right? Like how many people with the actual money to actually turn these lights off has he annoyed? We saw it happen with Ye, right? He, 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 he pushed the line way too far and it got to a point where the money people said okay enough and they basically turned his lights off and obviously now he's okay because you know he's probably got funds in the bank and stuff but no corporate you know entity wants to touch him with a barge pole so that's where it becomes a bit tetchy it continues 2018 the first annus um horribleness it says if you want to understand musk um unhinged behavior it's helpful to understand the reasons that he lashed out in the past so let me take you back to 2018 when musk had bet the tesla future on model 3 with the intended starting price of 30 grand the car was supposed to make evs accessible for drivers who wouldn't um who couldn't afford luxury prices but tesla's investors got increasingly restless as the model became trapped in what musk called production hell the pressure to get that model 3 out clearly weighed on musk and he was not and he was not subtle about it on tesla's first call to earning call he cut off one of the analyst's basic financial questions saying that boring boneheaded questions are not cool he got so frustrated that he ditched the analyst entirely and started talking taking questions from fans posting on youtube eventually he, he even be, um, begged skeptical tesla investors to please sell our stock and when musk is at his most hungry for cash he tends to bite the hand that feeds him musk also became more active on twitter around this time often with erratic results when a professional diver complained that musk was distracting from efforts to rescue children um soccer team had been trapped in a cave in thailand musk called the diver a pedo guy and harassed him on twitter i still don't get why he got so annoyed at that guy for calling him out and then honestly maybe it's just like a fragile ego thing but that was one of the strangest things i wonder if they actually had a history prior to that maybe they, they had some sort of running back in college or something but that seemed oddly weird how he got so touchy of that guy that diver that was said hey you don't know what you're talking about it continued he used the platform to whine about the media, attack his investors, belittling against um, the Tesla stock, and even tweeted that he would be taking Tesla private at the price of $420 a share. And when there was no such deal in place, Tesla, Musk later admitted, was near death, and the summer's production hell was about to turn into an auto logistics um, hell. Um, it continues here. Tesla's salvation came in the form of a Chinese Communist Party. In 2019, executives were fleeing Tesla and the company continued to bleed cash. Musk struck a deal to build a factory in Shanghai. From permitting the destruction of the, to the opening, the Shanghai Gigafactory was built in just 168 working days. Skeptical observers, myself included, were blindsided. What we failed to appreciate was the staggering power of the CCP when it's aggressively pushing to meet a single goal. When the party said Tesla would build a factory there and that, and that meant 
immediately. Without China, Tesla would not have finally turned into a real car company. And in Musk's words, he dodged the destruction and started to settle down and focus on the products and um, projects like Starlink. I'm sure he was still wild, wilding out on Twitter, but at least he wasn't bawling. Sorry, bawling to Rolling Stone about how badly he needs a girlfriend to be happy. At last, it seemed that Musk was the universe and had something frenzied at equilibrium. Generally, there are two different lessons a person could take from surviving a brush with near ruin. They can learn to be more cautious or they can decide that they are indestructible and tempt faith. I don't think I need to tell you which path Musk chose. Let's just go down to the bottom last paragraph here and I will continue. The last paragraph says Wall Street should be thoroughly embarrassed. According to reports, the banks told holding Twitter's debts are already expecting to take a two billion hit when they confirmed firmly sell off. It's not hard to see why. I've said from the jump that there was no money in this Twitter venture and no principles either. Musk is always going to turn Twitter into a reflection of his limited view of his earth, as he put it during his manic ramblings on dead on Deal Book. I never expected Musk fanboys to understand that, but I did. Un expect bankers who are supposed to understand who paid for what in the media business to get it in the end there's a real chance wall street investors will wind up owning a shambolic mess that is twitter slash x one of the few blessings to come from this fiasco is that when that happens at least we'll know what not to do with it uh, let's see what happens let's see what happens i still think he's going to turn it around i feel like um x twitter is the best it's ever been personally i feel like it's way more fun because there's way more psychos on there way more unhinged people that are really really pushing the needle and i'm all for it so i think he's going to turn around i think he's going to figure it out and again you've got things like starlink that you could easily end up selling and taking public and shit um tesla still got a few tricks up their sleeve the success of the Cybertruck is going to be really um i feel like i expected for a lot of people especially if it ends up launching in europe um especially when you if you look at the fly-by-wire design of the steering essentially they can make it right hand drive very very easily because there's no actual you know um there's no actual infrastructure that's connecting the wheel to the actual axle itself at the front so it's got that really strange fly-by-wire thing that's really cool you should actually check it out so that's going to make it easier and hopefully if they can get it to comply with the fucking safety regulations here in europe that's going to change things so there's loads of things that can kind of you know they can get cash from and change things in the future so i'm really looking forward and eager to and again there's always the other side of twitter too when it comes to the you know the content creation monetization side of things as well that might change and who knows maybe elon goes on the apology to and you end up getting all the advertisers back on twitter as well and that end up more changing things as well so there are loads of avenues and hope and hope still there when it comes to elon and twitter so it's not all doom and gloom but you know i feel like a lot of people out there aren't really hot on elon a lot of people out there aren't really hot on elon moving on let's talk about um how long gone so how long gone one of my favorite podcasts out there there was a really cool article written via prospect magazine regarding why uh, americans are so much richer than us people here in the uk and it profiled how long gone and i want to read this article for you because i feel like this is very on point the article and what it's basically talking about and kind of if anything answers a lot of questions that i've had around you know cr the creative field in the uk and why for whatever reason in terms of pay it doesn't it kind of pales in comparison when it comes to our U u.s counterparts which is really unfortunate and even just job wise like i found with my kind of roles that i've had which is like social media manager marketing manager community manager all these sort of roles you know the same role in the u.s you get paid like double what i get paid here in the uk which is fucking crazy to be honest but let's read the article here so the article says 
and the title is why americans are so much richer than us i'll put the link obviously in the description for you guys to check out for yourself um it continues it says i'm in mayfair in my expensive menswear in a queue with other youngish men in a creative uh, careers who are all in their expensive menswear it's january and i'm queuing for the first uk live show of how long gone how long gone is a podcast hosted by jason stewart and chris black um and it's now accurately described the premise um i don't watch reality tv or marvel movies it's that i listen to black and stewart review 22 dollar smoothies while i lie in my bath other topics are itemized in these episodes accompanying descriptions have included big salads um go consume chris realizes he's staying in a republican hotel um <laughs> day day lewis spotted in a new look and exactly how much dog shitting um cost dog sitting so it costs the pair self-identify as bi-coastal elites and their show is full of in jokes and references to their rt media flavored social circle black use and manager band and others created to consult for brands and stewart is a dj and occasional food writer though some of the guests are big celebrities like charlie xdx and matt healy more often they are semi-famous journalists or chefs listening to how long gone is like eavesdropping on the best table at a restaurant you barely got a booking for listen to how long gone actually has a big comment that's something i realized i didn't know that was a thing but i think it's a very hipster trendy thing to do but i guess because i go to clubs i don't do it um a lot of people just go and hang out in fucking restaurants like that's what they do they go to cool restaurants they maybe you know they probably won't order anything huge but they just love the ambience of it and maybe they'll turn it into like a, a you know a place to go and fucking get drunk at but restaurants have become a the, the kind of cool hangout spot to be at i think a few years ago it felt like wine bars were the place to be maybe before that it was cocktail bars but now it seems like restaurants are the place where a lot of these trendy cool guys go and you know maybe it's because i'm not the biggest foodie in the world i'm not really that interested but that's something that i've kind of seen um be a trend when it comes to how long gone and even if you go on the reddit you see a lot of people kind of asking recommendations about restaurants and shit so it seems like there's a big portion of people out there that have turned food into its own little um you know it's only i wouldn't say subculture but whatever it's an interesting thing that they have but it's strange not something for me it continues black and stewart launched a podcast in 2020 we know what that's about blah, 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 blah. let's continue um and in the case of how long god it turns to an abstract numerology of gdp charts into tangible reality by now the facts of british relative re, re, sorry by now the facts of britain's relative poverty are like a um catechism we are poorest country in the northwest of europe and our purchasing power parity 20 percent poorer than america take away london and we're poorer than every single u.s state really i didn't know that jesus london's themselves have roughly 20 percent less purchasing power than new yorkers jesus black and stewart live lives that creative types in the uk could never afford very true because i'm not mistaken i think chris black has two homes he has one in new york and one in la i don't think there's many people who do you know who have creative consultants and have a podcast in the uk who could afford to buy two houses <laughs> let alone one you know what i mean so that definitely goes to show you just how different the earning potential is in the US compared to the UK. It continues. Um, extensive portions of How Long Gone are given over to their final points of non-economy air travel, all the merits of Los Angeles Salas bars, where they would be lucky to get changed for $50. Even the writers they have on seem to be, if not outright affluent, at least ma um, materially comfortable. Yeah. But again, the book deals that writers get in the States are also crazy, to be fair. Um, of course, America has a long mythologized 
over here as a land of riches and Dallas aristocrats, oil men and diamond drenched rappers and endless sunny suburbs and the hosts and sitcoms like Modern Family. We also know um, consciously or not that it's all art. It's all for show. But listening to real people describe their real lives, people who do similar things to you, but live so much better is almost uncanny. Exactly. That's the thing I see. I think that's, that's a good description of some of the sentiment on the Reddit. Sometimes it feels like a lot of the people on Reddit are like jealous because Chris Black and Jason Stewart aren't, you know, they're not the most, in, you know, I wouldn't say the most intelligent people or the most insightful or creative or amazing guys in the world, but they figured it out, right? That's really the name of the game. When you when you first start in a scene, when you first start moving and shaking and doing your thing, I think for me personally, the adage I always had in my head was the Aaron Bondaroff, you know, the Aaron Bondaroff way of life, which was like, turn your lifestyle, no, turn your lifestyle into a job or turn your hobby into a lifestyle, whatever it was, right? Something along those kind of line, right? A big of Aaron Bondaroff of New York fame and previously of, oh, wow fame as well and re, you know and and kind of alumni of fucking supreme team and remember that's what he used to say back in the day it's something that kind of a lot of people in the creative scenes and subculture and stuff used to always kind of abide by as well right if you could find a way to make the lifestyle your job then you've kind of made it it didn't really matter how much money you're making but if you could basically afford to pay your salary or you afford to pay your rent um by taking pictures or be the cool guy that's when you fucking won so that was really the name of the fucking game the name of the fucking game right so i flipping loved it i flipping loved it but but it can be disconcerting when you see people that have just figured it out in a big way and they're just, you know, they probably aren't more intelligent than you. They probably don't know more than you, but they just figured it out. <laughs> so maybe that's what I'm seeing. I, may, I think that's what I'm seeing when I'm listening to fucking um, How Long Gone. It's more so that. It's more so, it's just weird to see people who have just figured it out in a way that you just haven't. So that's probably what you're seeing on the Reddit. It's not hate. It's just more so disbelief. Like, how the fuck do they do it? Like, this line is incredible. But listen to real people describe their real lives. Um, people who do similar things to you but live so much better. It's almost uncanny. It continues. Those who watch American talk, um, those who watch Americans talk about their shopping habits or everyday routines or TikTok will get a similar feeling. Uh, it continues when the musician caroline palachek appeared on how long gone she talked about living in london for a period um, and how she felt more alien there than she did in any other european capital speaking a foreign country's language means you can better understand how differ um how how you differ its people um how differ from its people duh, duh, duh. while black and stewart style themselves of anglophiles listening about the visits from london gives impressions of rich GIs rolling into town in 1942. Stuart went to the River Cafe but didn't rate it. Black went to Selfridges and got high as hell on the vibes and then took um, his first ever public bus, A+, as well as done, um, so well done TFL, to Broadway Market, which sells fire sandwiches. For the break, for a break from weird food and sauces on it, we also had a quick solo lunch at the Ottolenghi's in Marleybone. Maybe this sounds a bit sour. There are plenty of rich people in London, after all, but they tend to be the bankers or the oligarchs' kids. Their wealth can be battered away with a cultural superiority. Being rich and cool is far more unnerving for Brits generally have to choose one or the other. Very, very true. That is true. In England, you have to choose. You have to choose between being rich and cool. That's why brands like Palace are having such a hard time now because 
they've essentially chosen to be rich, right? The founders of it, which is why the collaborations are coming out every fucking single day and the brand is obviously suffering for it and it's obviously the worst it's ever been, but the founders are definitely going to make a lot of money out of it. But you can't be rich and cool. There's no such thing in London. <laughs> you have to either choose the money or choose the fucking clout tokens. You decide. It continues. Being, being rich and cool is far more unnerving and for Brits and generally have to choose one or the other. So when I'm in the bath, listen to how long gone and hearing about fancy grocery shops and exclusive parties i'm also thinking about britain and why we put up with being so broke very very true um i don't know how we handle it really we just we just make it work which is odd too considering we don't really have much to show for it you know the weather's terrible the public transport isn't the greatest we don't really have a good outdoor style of living what is that or lifestyle i think that's probably what you term it to be there's not really good like outdoor lifestyle most of the things that we do when it comes to like our free time you know revolves around alcohol and you know drugs and partying and all that stuff right it's not necessarily anything else other than, you know i can think of or maybe shopping right it's materialism or it's just overconsumption. whether it comes to food drinks whatever it may be so that really does make it worse and obviously the weather puts you in a damn you know bad mood you end up drinking more because you're in a bad mood and then you end up having no money because you're drinking more it's absolutely horrendous but big up this writer his name is josiah gogarty josiah gogarty prospect magazine i'll put the link in the description if you want to check out the article for yourself and watch it in full moving on moving on moving on moving on I want to talk about drum sheds. I want to talk about drum sheds, drum sheds, drum sheds. So drum sheds is open up in London. Um, it's, I think, if I'm not mistaken, 15,000 capacity nightclub is taken over from fucking print works, right, in London. It's one of our big mega clubs here. Personally, for me, I hate mega clubs. I would much prefer to see the money be invested into smaller venues, maybe 1,500 capacity, and have them dotted around you know each part of london basically have a fold in every part of london north south and west the reason why i would like that is because i feel like that would ease the pressure on some of the smaller clubs that are sub one thousand capacity and what you end up doing i feel like as well especially if you give these clubs a late license and you allow them to open up until 6 a.m you give those clubs an opportunity to basically um help to stem the flow of antisocial behavior in london because that's something which is a big issue for us when it comes to nightlife you have these clubs that are all closing at the same time around you know let's say any time between like 2 to 4 a.m everybody bleeds out into the street at the same time everybody's steaming high drunk horny whatever they are ready to still go out and the people you know end up clashing on the streets police whatever it may be and it ended it turns into an absolute shit show and most likely if your club is in a very densely populated you know metro you know uh housing area well i think it's a pedestrian area wherever it may be you end up having the neighbors complain about their club and all the other social behavior that's going on whether it comes to fights or people pissing the council usually abides or sides with the homeowners and most likely that'll end up happening was that the club license will be taken away the late licenses will reduce alcohol license might get taken away or you end up getting shut down so it does have a trickle down effect um or domino effect if you know you end up having not enough of these kind of mid-level smaller clubs in london but for whatever reason london doesn't like to have smaller sub 1000 capacity clubs 
but they also don't mind having mega clubs. Like there was a conversation that was happening about that sphere in Las Vegas happening in the, in London. And now we've got this 15 capacity fucking nightclub that's in a former, um, Ikea factory. And it's just like, bro, like this place looks horrendous personally for me. It's way too big. There's probably not enough decent electronic artists in Europe that could fill a 15 capacity stadium anyway, a space, regardless who they are. Um, so you're in one of the most expensive cities in, in Europe. You have, you know, a space that's probably way too big for what, you know, whatever the function is. And there's not enough artists that can fill it. And obviously the crowd that's in there is a bit sketchy. So I want to watch a quick review video here courtesy of youtube um it's, it's it's from an account called robot robot it's a drum sheds review and you know uh review of the inside so you can kind of hear and see and hear sounds of what this club looks like but i'll tell you this it looks really really unnerving very intimidating very 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 big and if anything just another reflection of just how much of a misstep and a mismatch there is in terms of London nightlife in terms of options and stuff it's really annoying but let's play the video here we're about to walk into one of the most ridiculous rooms i've ever seen in a club come check this out uh f- this is insane <laughs> Hi, I'm Luke Pepper. Hi, I'm Luke Brancaccio, and welcome to Robot Robot. With added Decoded magazine. We are on our way to check out drum sheds. We've uh, been invited down for a little uh, cheeky... Early preview. Early preview. I mean, the size of this place. I mean, check this out. Club isn't even open yet, and we're already queuing. It's huge, though. Wow. The entrance... Hello, all of the drug amnesty bins. Who's throwing in their drugs in the drug amnesty bins? Fuck that shit. Take that shit straight to the toilet. Wow, there's huge barriers. So it look, it, it kind of layout wise, entry wise, it reminds me a lot of, of, of fucking fabric. Sorry, of print works. Print works felt like you were going through the airport. So many fucking snake turnstiles you had to go through. Loads of different kiosks, bars everywhere. But it felt very sparse. I think maybe this is the same thing. Because again, it's in a former IKEA um, store. So it's definitely going to be huge and very spacious. But also, it's going to be a bit weird of a club, you know, in terms of like layout and wise. How you try to make it work? Oh, that's a bar. Fuck, I've just realized that's actually a bar. That whole entire line that I'm just seeing here of um of a you know i thought that was where the tickets were i guess that's a, that's an entire bar so maybe one of the best things about these sort of mega clubs is that you're not gonna be waiting too long to order a drink there's literally hundreds of points to go get a bar to go get a drink if you want it they seem to have a bar in the entrance which means that you can get a drink when you queue maybe you've that- got to get through the queue and then you get your get a drink here I think as a fun time i don't like that to be fair i think i prefer to go into a nightclub get immersed you know go through the dance floor then to get to the bar i don't want to get straight to the bar do you know what i mean like that seems like it's encouraging you know that that's encouraging people to get boozed up very very quickly i much prefer to actually immerse myself in the surroundings get myself centered get a grip or get an understanding of the space feel everything whatever and then go to the bar or the toilet whatever it may be but heading in and then seeing the bar straight away and the shiny frothy look you know tasty chilled beverages that's probably the wrong way to go about doing things especially if we're on the way to the dance floor everyone's going to be moving around it's going to be queues everywhere you're probably going to be spilling it all over the place so it just seems like a weird thing to do when it comes to construction wise they probably should have had it the other up the other way around 
Maybe. Who knows? So this is 5,000 people, the same capacity as Printworks, just in this one room. Jesus, why room? The LEDs are incredible though. There's these amazing LEDs on the roof. So you can do some really interesting lighting shows and shit. So I guess for the bigger promoters or for the bigger artists that like to create a bit more of a special bespoke experience, this is going to be really cool. Really fucking cool. There's loads of LEDs, lasers all over the place. Like smoke probably. It's probably quite a really cool environment to, you know, to stand in or maybe to record videos for. <laughs> DB Audio Technic sound system in here, which not too many clubs in the UK have got, but they got a great reputation because they slam. We're about to walk into one of the most ridiculous rooms I've ever seen in a club. Come check this out. So that's the main place. Wow. Look at the LED screen at the back. There's a massive screen behind the DJ. That is really cool. That kind of reminds me of what was that event I went to? I think I went to like a Crank Brothers event to see Nina Kravitz play um, near, I think it was at like the Walthamstow Leisure Center or something. Some really strange, you know, um, venue that they kind of repurposed for one for one off event. Nina Kravitz played, and they had this amazing screen behind her where she played, and essentially it made these, it kind of projected this weird silhouette behind her. So the lights were dimmed, so you couldn't really see her, but you could see her projected on the back. So her arms are flailing around, do the whole Nina Kravitz dance and shit. So That'd be a pretty cool thing to see so if anything even though the space is really big if you're standing right at the back with that massive screen and how it's lit up you could probably see the entire show if need be so maybe from all angles there's a way to see the booth that's pretty cool i like that So this is the main stage wow. and you can see behind me they've got a killer LED screen. That's crazy. Honestly, the scale of this room is just unbelievable. There's no way that the camera is going to be able to do it justice. I would, I would absolutely love to trip balls off in that room. That sounds, that looks and sounds fucking incredible. I'm not going to lie. The thing that I will say is if you're into music, especially if you're into techno, you've got to come and check out Drum Sheds. So lost for words, this is one of the most uh, awe-inspiring things I've seen in dance music or in clubbing. Wow. Um, sorry about the noise in the background, there's lots of work going on, but Jesus, holy shit, this is unbelievable. Yeah. 
one thing you have to give these guys credit for i think it's Bordwick live as much as i wasn't the biggest fan of printworks i thought it was very underwhelming i think printworks again former printwork factory it was actually if you're not familiar with printworks it was a scene in the batman in the batman that scene where he's fighting in a nightclub and it's all red that's where printworks is that's where it what, what that's what printworks used to be it was a nightclub in the former printwork factory and when you walked when you see the pictures it kind of felt like it'd be a different space when you actually experienced it the sound wasn't as good it wasn't as immersive it obviously was super big way too spaced out for me and my kind of liking i like things to be a little bit more intimate a little bit more closed in but one thing you could say for sure production wise it was on point the led screens the lighting the lasers the smoke like they do a really good job in terms of actually operating that club night after night after night after night like they put on a real good show so the guys that work behind the scenes to put that shit on the guys and girls there are absolutely the top of their game it's just a shame that it's not their fault you know london clubs the sounds is always a bit muffed and a bit limited and stuff it's not really the you know it doesn't really hit you in the face as it should do i feel like pretty much should have really really hit you in the face it didn't um and i feel like maybe this might be the same thing because it feels like it feels very 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 big it feels like it should have really big sound also but i have a feeling it's going to be like every other club in london where you have to get right to the front for you to hear anything if you're at the back it kind of sounds a bit shit This is another DB Technic sound rig they've got in here. They've gone for line array rigs, uh, which makes sense given the size of the venue. And we've got various stacks in here. I mean, because without a line array, this place would be a nightmare to get. And this guy that's talking right now, uh, the, the camera just zoomed in and it looks like he's sweating. So he's sweating and he's in the club at like a special press preview type of thing, right? There's not, an, there's not a club night going on there and he's already sweating. So imagine what it's going to be like with other humans in there, you know, off drugs, dancing, whatever it may be. It's going to be like a fucking sweat box. So if this guy's sweating from just being there during a press launch, Oof, I can't imagine what regular nights are going to be like in there. Get right acoustically. And even with no one in the building at the moment, the acoustics in here are pretty bloody good. I'm not going to, sh- I'm going to, I want to see it for myself to be fair. I might actually go to the Mass Tiempo event. That's um, Jammer and Skepta's house, tech house label sort of thing. They've got an event happening, I think on the 16th or something. So I might check it out then and see what it's like in real life. But I don't know. I've got a feeling it's going to be underwhelming, but I'm willing to give it a chance. So this is all DB Technic uh, wow. speakers. What amps are you running? Uh, D40s on most of the tops and D80s on the subs. Oh, and just like Printworks too. That's one thing they did really well to be fair on Printworks. They have an amazing... This is called The Yard. They've got, this, they've got an amazing food court which is something that's, I, which was weird because I remember in Printworks, there were probably way more people in the food court hanging out, eating, chatting shit than there were people inside. It turns into its own little scene. So that's the thing that makes it a bit weird. You know what I mean? I think it takes away from the clubbing experience. People are in there kind of just chatting and eating and not really dancing, which is, is what it is, I guess. But the food court is quite nice. So if you do get a bit peckish and you're in there all night or all day, you can actually get some decent food. And I remember Printworks, the same little sort of layout. Each hut had a different, you know, different type of cuisine and shit. It was pretty decent. I think one of the good things about having a venue this big 
um, and kind of the like location where it is is that you don't have to compromise on things like sound because you don't have loads of neighbors oh really i like the sound of that okay that sounds very very encouraging because something happened happened at junction so there's basically in london we have these really draconian and annoying um noise pollution laws and shit but essentially what it means is if you have a nightclub next to a next to a residential area they have a lot of limits and restrictions about how loud the sound could be and most nightclubs in residential areas the sound is terrible because they have to basically adhere to those laws or those rules or their club gets shut down but what it ends up happening is that if you're a clubber like myself when you go to nightclubs you end up having to like stand right next to the booth to hear anything and you know experienced ravers the last thing you want to do is be near the booth you want to be doing your own thing you want to be in a corner somewhere sometimes most of the time i'm i have my back to the fucking dj i don't really i mean i just want to listen and immerse myself in experience but because clubs are the sound is all over the place it comes makes a bit shit which is why fold is really good because fold is in like this area called canning town in london which is kind of the area that i kind of grew up from or grew up in sorry and that area is a basically in the middle of nowhere it's kind of like in, in a sort of like a what would you call it an industrial area that's where fold is basically located and one of the reasons why fold has become the number one club in london obviously they've got really good programming really good bookings really good promoters really good owners that know what they're doing but the main reason why fold has become the prominent club in london is because it's in an industrial area and they can really crank up the volume so they have probably some the best sound system in london anyway but the volume they can really crank up because it's, there's no fucking houses near them really to be honest and i think there's train tracks covering them on either side so that muffles the sound a bit as well so it doesn't travel too far it's a great location so maybe this is actually encouraging because it's in a former ikea warehouse shop factory whatever it is those things are usually in the middle of nowhere i think in most countries right the, you don't really have ikea stores in like a really densely populated area so because of that they can actually go crazy with the sound so maybe my you know um, what's your thing called maybe my um maybe my fears are going to be alleviated when i actually go because that's actually encouraging to hear that really really fucking encouraging most unbelievable venues i've ever seen in my life it's uh, actually crazy the scale of this, this thing um the production the amount of effort uh, everything is just next level never seen anything like it good luck to them we are already lost trying to get out Welcome to Wandering Around Lost in Clubs. The one thing we haven't forgot yet is our name. Give it some time. Thank you very much. Thank you. Oh my good God, that was incredible. I've never seen anything like it. Yeah, that's seriously next level. The sound system in there is amazing. And the visuals, second to none. have not seen... I mean, the scale of the whole thing is ridiculous. And I'm actually uh, lost for words. It's mind-blowing. Drum shed. Okay, cool. Good to hear that. Um, again, huge space. Can't wait to check out myself. Um, I'm going to reserve judgment. But from what the people are saying, you know, these guys seem to be like, you know, they on point. Again, they got invited. So you have to take their review with a pinch of salt. But, you know, I don't think they'd gas it up too much. But what that tech guy said, you know, the one of the guys involved in the team that I'm assuming with the sound about the sound being good and high because they're not in a residential area. That's very encouraging. So that might be worth going. But the ticket prices are no joke. I checked the Skepta event, the Mass Tiempo event with Jammer, and I saw I've seen tickets go for like 60 quid on fucking ticket swap. So it's not a cheap place to go to. If you want to enjoy your time out of drum shit, you have to make sure that you have, you know, some deep pockets because the tickets are not cheap. Let me just double check them again on the fucking event page but last time i checked a lot of the events were sold out and they were going for like 60 plus so that's a lot of fucking money for london you know you're not even you're not including your fucking food you're not including your travel your gear the cloakroom 
all the stuff is that needs to be included. So it's looking like a 150, 200 pound night easy, which is absolutely crazy, bro. But hey, London living, isn't it? Um, big up the stream chat. Be everybody hanging in there. Appreciate all of you guys. Oh, big up fashion romance. What's going? Um, damn, just saw the thumbnail. Just know that things could always be worse. I'm a Chelsea fan. Yeah. Tell me about it, brother. But I, I don't think that's a good comparison. And I feel, you know, because you guys still have owners willing to spend money and you're going to figure it out in the end. The, you know, the Ted Bowley, that consortium are throwing way too much money at the wall now, but something will eventually stick. Eventually you will figure it out. United, we have owners that don't give a fuck about the sport is the success of the team. They're not investing their own money and we are, you know, the competition around us are getting better and better and better. So we're kind of falling behind the pack. New teams are emerging, like the Villas and the Brightons and whatnot. And we have owners that don't know what the fuck they're doing. So we're in a really shitty position at the moment. So if anything, I'm not going to lie. I'd rather be Chelsea than be United because you guys will eventually figure it out. You really will. I think you will. But you're just going to, you know, you're going to have to go through this fucking pain of having to figure it out with new owners. But United is not looking good at all. It's not looking good in the slightest, especially with this fucking Surgeon Ratcliffe partial ownership nonsense. It's like... 25% like I don't know whatever I don't want to I don't want to fucking blow my gasket at 5am in the morning so um <laughs> looking at looking at Printworks events listings so far yeah they've got Mass Tiempo event presents Skepta and Jammer um look most of these events are sold out already Chase and State is on February 23rd next year February 23rd event already sold out fucking hell um what's the event they have here they've got 10 years of worried by Henry as well is that sold out is that in? okay that's still on You've got a drum code event happening on a March next year. Um, what else events happening? Oh, you got an X, oh, XL night with Emily Lenz. That's going to be pretty big. You got Hydra with Bonobo playing. Um, you got false idols playing. You got James, oh, James Hype is playing as well here. So you, as you can see by the names, it's very commercial, very, I would say normie, but it's a lot of very popular people. If anything, I'm not going to lie. I would like to see what drum sheds could do with smaller promoters. I want to see some of our smaller, you know, really influential promoters get a chance to put on a night there. Whether it's just like a collection of all the best nights that we have in London and they do it there. Maybe even a how that event, that really cool event, how that they have in Color Factory and they have all these different promoters do different sort of sets and shit. I'd love to see them take over drum shed. That'd be pretty cool to see that sort of like mix. But Again, it's a big venue, man. 10, 15,000 people. I think one room has 5,000. The other room has 10. Like, it's a big space. Like, it's probably impossible to fill it, especially in London. There's just not enough. At, at, the price of entry is just too much. It's going to obviously cut out a, a big group of people that would want to go. And there's probably not enough DJs that could fill that space, really. You know, even the Tiestos and shit. Like, could he really fill 10,000 capacity room in London? Like, especially if you think about the ticket prices as well. Like, let's, let's see this one. This drum code event. How much of the tickets going to be at drum code? The drum code event tickets are on Kabudu. Kabodel. Okay. They're not even doing on RA. It's on a site called Kabodel. And how much are they going for the drum code tickets event? Let's see how they're going for. I'm assuming it's going to be 60 pounds or 50 pounds. Let's see. Um, big up Don Dotter. He says, he said he saw Skepta and Jammer in New York Fashion Week and they opened clothes for Peggy Goo. Not going to lie. They're really decent and the vibes were bringing there. Yeah. I, I saw the pictures. Oh, you were there. Big up Don Dotter. That's pretty sick. I saw the pictures of it. I saw the pictures of them playing there. Um, it's quite sick. I'm not going to lie. And I think I'm actually talking about the next actually. Um, Skepta and Jammer. Um, it's quite sick to see them you know evolving into that side of things to be fair i'm not gonna lie it's pretty cool okay cool so it looks like i spoke too soon or i spoke incorrectly the prices i saw on ticket swap were maybe resale prices it seems like general admission ticket prices for drum sheds start 
from 30 and then they top up anywhere to 90 pounds for like what what's this drum sheds plus i don't know what that is but essentially you can get a general um, admission ticket for 37.50 plus free 75 for booking fee and so forth and i'm assuming they probably have vip tickets as well but yeah so tickets aren't as expensive as i thought it would be but it's still essentially 40 pounds for a ticket 40 pounds for entry to a nightclub not including your gear not including your booze your you know cloakroom it's a lot of money bro so it's not cheap but Obviously, it's a very unique experience, very unique space, as we've seen in the video that I just featured here, courtesy of Robot Robot. Check that channel out as well. Doing some good stuff on here as well, so check them out. So I'm really eager to see it myself in real life when I eventually end up going there. And most likely, the event I'll end up going to will be the Mass Tiempo event. So let's actually see if they have any tickets left for Mass Tiempo because I've been checking it on the fucking... Um, oh, no, it's sold out, actually. So no more tickets for Mass Tiempo officially. So let's see if and i think last time i checked was um what should we call it the last time i checked was on the ticket swap site and it said that they were selling them for fucking 70 odd quid and shit so i guess that's what you have to kind of look for but yeah that's tempo happening on the 16th which is a really good fucking lineup. You got Skepta and Jammer, DJ EZ. He's going to absolutely tear that to part. Loco Dice, Todd Edwards, Claude Van Stroke, Maximum, Shireet, DJ Q back to back with G33, Honey Love, The Originals, Continental GT, CC, Jaws, Kitty Amor, Kelly Allian, Rio, The Mendez. Oh, The Menendez Brothers. Wow. Okay. It's a pretty decent lineup to be fair. I'm not going to lie. And special guest, Green Velvet. It's kind of turned into a business techno guy, but hey, it kind of is what it is. So big up drum sheds, big up drum sheds. I'll probably do a review for that very, very soon. Moving on, moving on. So I quickly wanted to talk about a little bit regarding the illustrious and the best ever, ever. No, it wasn't actually the best ever. It was probably a little bit underwhelming. Um, the Balenciaga collection that happened just recently, right? The Balenciaga show that happened just recently. Um, there are some bits and pieces that I wanted to highlight that I absolutely love for their pre-4 collection it took place in la um they essentially it was demner's ode to hollywood and california living there was a lot of i felt like what would you call them avatars or you know of people that you would see if you've ever been to california in la type of people that you'd see walking down the street maybe press shots that you'd see on different instagram accounts and stuff but a lot of people online especially on fashion twitter haven't been happy with the what he's presented and some people are basically getting tired of the demna um, aesthetic when it comes to balenciaga and i for one have to maybe slightly agree and maybe i think the reason why i have to agree is that i think even from the beginning again this is coming from a big demna fanboy i always felt like demna should have never stepped aside from vetement he should have always kept that as his kind of outlet creative outlet and kind of done his conventional elevating of everyday wear streetwear whatever you want to term it with vetement and then do a really elevated luxurious different perspective when it comes to balenciaga but at the moment it kind of feels like demler is slowly but surely turning into hedy Samain. well he only has one note he only has one way of kind of, you know, doing clothes or presenting his ideas. And he's going to just run, you know, run it into the ground until the end. And it's unfortunate, really, because I feel like he still has a very unique voice in fashion. But it feels like people are getting a little bit tired of it. So the first thing that happened during that LA pre-fall show for 2024, there was a, there was a collaboration with Erwan. Erwan, the health food store out there in the United States, um, did a collaboration with Balenciaga, where they had these special, you know, smoothies that they were sent, that they gave away for free, I think 
if I'm not mistaken, during the show. But obviously, you could purchase them later um, in the stores themselves. They came in this really cool black bottle with Balenciaga there on the front, and people are going crazy for those. They also have a health food bar as well, I think, like an energy bar and some other things as well. Um, the actual ingredients for the health food drink here, according to Stay Grounded, the Balenciaga and Erwan juice is made from apple, lemon, ginger, cinnamon, and maple, all organic and charcoal, which gives the color and adds to its detoxifying benefits. So a lot of health food benefits there. Then there was also a, an official collaboration with Erwan Balenciaga. They actually did a full collaboration with them where they had like hoodies and t-shirts and shit and tote bags and other bits and pieces and aprons and hats as well, right? So if you want all that shit, you can obviously purchase that yourself. But for me, the real standout was the show. The show for me was a real standout and I picked out some highlights from the pre-fall collection that I really did enjoy. One of them being this particular look here with this oversized bomber jacket. Um, you know, I feel like them is always the king of bomber jackets. Um, the cut on them is supreme. Um, the only probably person that comes near to cutting the perfect bomber jacket for me is maybe Rick Owens. Um, he doesn't do these big padded exaggerated baggy size puffers anymore um it feels like he's kind of abandoned that for the more cropped and fitted styles so if you want that big boxier fit of a bomber jacket but still has you know the quintessential balenciaga bits and pieces there where it kind of hogs your waist really well balenciaga is a way to go there so that's one of my favorite looks and then continuing on um i really did like um this looks as well with the leggings with the drop cop shorts obviously these extremely exaggerated xl trainers or triple x i think three xl trainers are really up my fucking lane so i'm going to be talking about those later as well one of my other favorite looks is this particular look here where you've got this scarf ensemble that i think attaches onto the inside of the hood which kind of turns it into a babushka style type of garb which i really am fond of big chunky chain the hoodie size looks really great as are the shorts and again the sneakers look really cool um obviously this look here with the pink ensemble is quintessential la it kind of looks like something you would imagine paris hilton to be wearing right um with this cropped um hoodie and the big sweatpants and these boots when i originally saw these boots i assumed that they were a collaboration with ugg i thought blenciaga collaborated with ugg but essentially what they are if you're not mis if you're aware blenciaga has this boot at the moment that's called the alaska boot it's really fucking nice it's basically their version of a snow boot and essentially what them know blenciaga has done they've morphed an ugg boot with that snow boot they've got called alaska and they've turned it into a blenciaga version of an ugg boot which is really cool so you have this really nice chunky sole um you have this really nice chunky design and the boot comes up just underneath your knee as well so it's really really nice and i feel if you look zoom in i feel like it's like a pile lining as well on the inside so they're really really fucking warm and they come in loads of different cool colors that i really like to be fair i'm really fond of those boots i know some people won't like them but i like them um again this tracksuit look i like the look of as well um this zip up this zip hoodie that they do um might be a bit of a sleeper it looks like it fits really fucking well nice slim on the arms really short on the body but also just doesn't look super tight i don't know how to describe it maybe it's a tailoring thing or the way it's been cut it kind of just fits perfect so i really like the look of those as does the sweat velvet sweatpants and again those boots in the black looks incredible so you've got them available there in the pink and also you've got them available in the black i'd wear that you know obviously head to toe you've got the same look there in the red I love the little addition there with the fong peeking out. Very dramatic, very extra. This big bag is really cool too. It's like a beach bag. You've got the whole mesh lining on the mesh um, on the outside. It looks like a beach bag. And you've also got the inside tote. 
that looks really cool i'm sure this erwan coffee cup balenciaga thing is going to be really expensive as well that they've got i'm not really too mad at that you got the same hoodie again the same tracks look sorry in gray and then you got the boots in brown which again even if you're not a fan of balenciaga themselves i think design wise these are really cool like it's it's like the it's like a it's like a you know an ugg boot that's been modernized or that's been made to look a little bit more substantial because that's one thing i don't like about uggs as much as i would like to wear a pair i feel like especially the way that i walk and the way that i fucking gallivant around town i'd probably destroy an ugg boot in 10 minutes but i feel like these have a little bit more give a little bit more you know a little bit more weight to them um it, when it comes to the outsole when it comes to the you know the construction the build whatever they just feel like a little bit more substantial so i'll probably go with you know go with these over an ugg boot but obviously these are going to retail for far more than ugg i'm assuming because if i'm not mistaken the alaska boot is like 600 so i won't be surprised if these are end up being like a grand or like near that do you know what i mean so they're not going to be cheap um i love the color combination with this particular look you've got this really nice neon um long sleeve crop top some short mini skirt with the black boots i think the neon with the black is just a cool combo and the white as well so that would just be something that i'll probably borrow for my color palette when it comes to shit that i style with my own outfits um the all white look i'm all for it's something i'm going to be definitely doing a lot um going into the winter months wearing all white when i go out especially to raves fuck it just to kind of mix things up a bit but this look looks really cool with the white boots the baggy pants and the baggy long sleeve turtleneck vibe and i love those fucking glasses right the visors to keep your fucking you know dilated pupils from night of partying hidden from the fucking onlookers as you gallivant down the street again a nice backpack there um some of my favorite looks another one of my favorite looks is this exaggerated really baggy um shirt that's been teamed up with the boots as well and uh what it looks like an, another twist on the kaggle has been really popular too for balenciaga so i love the look of that also and it kind of reminds me also of uh, some woman that i remember seeing wearing a really baggy tom brown shirt with high heels so i've always liked this look on women baggy baggy shirt nothing underneath for the boots on so it looks really cool another really good look with the hoodie um again this design that dem demner's kind of popularized this idea of turning the sweatshirt into like a hood scarfing so it looks like that sweatshirt is connected to the inside of a hoodie so when when you put the hood up you have the sweatshirt you know sleeves hanging from either side i love the look of that and again the boots and then you've got the overshirt again i like again in black and it's really cool and baggy and then you've got one of my favorite looks this is one of my favorite looks in the entire collection this particular look it kind of looks like kanye to be fair especially even the model that they kind of casted and the style kind of reminds of something that you see yay wearing but this with the black boots with the pants stuck you know tucked into the boots the big baggy shirt the hoodie with the sweatshirt on top of it like design stitched in it looks really fucking cool i love everything about this look one of my favorites on there and then you've got another really good favorite look as well which i like which is these leather biker pants which if i'm not mistaken are the same leather biker pants that were done last season that were attached to those micro motorcycle boots instead of these you just taking off the motorcycle boots you just turn them into leather biker pants again a really nice look with a big leather bag um i love the contrast here again with the pants with a different type of jeans different finishes you got a light wash on the left and, and a dark wash here on the right sleeve as well and then you continue on um this is just in terms of a layering piece i really i don't know not something i'd probably wear but in terms of looking wise just like the addition of this top that looks like it has a t-shirt sewn on top on top of a vest on top of a long sleeve again maybe it's all one piece i'm not really too sure how it's constructed but i just love the look of that um it looks kind of you know it looks a little it looks a little bit for lack of a better term trampy but 
I love it. And then, of course, you've got some really kind of quintessential Balenciaga looks here with these amazing pink ensemble there. And again, the tight boots as well. And I really did love this suiting as well with this exaggerated shoulders, um, with this kind of sateen type material, this loose fitting trousers. I think these will look really cool. Hopefully someone wears this on a, on, on a red carpet one day. Um, I really like that suiting option there. That was pretty impressive. And again, the same suit option in a different material. Now, I think there was four of these. Probably didn't need to put all four on the runway because it's just the same suit in different materials. But, Apart from that, I did enjoy most of it. And of course, it ended how most Balenciaga show ends with what looks like a wedding evening gown type of a garb. And I love the fact that it's got this really big funnel neck so that the participant is hidden from the glare of the paparazzi. And you've got the amazing little kind of high heel bag that can turn into a weapon as well if somebody tries it on you. So big fan of it. I loved it. But again, the main thing I loved about the entire collection is definitely the shoes. These sneakers, these free XL shoes, I'm all over them. And I think these might be my replacements for my triple S's because I'm still cut up that my original made in Italy Balenciaga triple S's died on me during the pandemic. Obviously, I wasn't wearing my designer cool shit. Everything was in storage, but I didn't put the gel packs into the boxes of the shoes I had. So a lot of my shoes died. And one of the shoes that died that kills, hurts me to this day are my Balenciaga triple S's in the black. That I had to throw them away because the entire sole was disintegrating. So I will need to replace them. But so far, the sneakers I've seen for Balenciaga haven't been that impressive, but these really tickle my fancy. They're very exaggerated. They're very enormous, very just impractical. They look kind of ugly, but they're really, really up my lane. And even more so when I saw the side profile picture of them, courtesy of this um, GQ article. If you scan down here on the GQ article, there's actually a side profile picture of them. And I think they actually look better side profile then they look front profile if you see this this one here in the gray blue and neon type of color they actually look quite cool there on the side profile more so than they look on the front but these are definitely a sleeper this is definitely a shoe that you're going to see a lot of people buying i think they're going to be a big hit um this up and coming season when they end up going to the stores these look really fucking cool you've got some great colorways here you've got this great black and gray colorway if anything i'd probably pick some of the ones with the lighter midsole Maybe the ones that's featured on there, which I have on here, this page, right? With the black, with the sort sorry, with the quintessential running shoe featured, like, you know, the greys and the blues and the whites, white midsole and shit. I'd probably go over those in the all black pair, but they definitely look really cool. I love the look of them, to be honest. This might be my favorite thing from the collection. Those and those massive Ugg boot type things that I want. So the shoe courtesy of Stay Grounded says it's actually called a 10XL sneaker, not free. So it's a 10XL sneaker. Absolutely wild. So you have this really big sole, so midsole. Um, I'm not too sure if it's one of those shoes where it's a bit of a um, optical illusion, where maybe it actually is kind of what's that word called? It is um, it is encapsulated. So the actual sole is somewhere around here. So it doesn't actually. It looks a lot more high than what it actually looks like. So maybe your foot actually sits maybe quite low on the shoe. Who knows? But I think it actually does sit quite high. I think that's the entire midsole is all this shit here. So they're really quite big, really really quite big. But I really fucking love them. And you got this really cool design here. It looks like a free, but it's actually like a B on the side. Great little bits of paneling, and it kind of looks a bit, a little bit, a little bit like a Balenciaga. 
and sorry, a little bit like an Asics that's been obviously you know pumped up full of steroids. But I really do like the look of them. I think they look really fucking cool. I'm all over these, and obviously they've got the same pair in white as well. If you want a pair, I think the all white pairs don't really look too great. I think I prefer them with the with the bits of color on the upper. Um, but yeah, you got them available in the black and the white. But I think the color that I would probably go for would definitely be that kind of this colorway that's featured here. But yeah, the shoes definitely were the standout for me in this collection. As you can see, those Uggs and those boots there. And I really did enjoy it. I'm not going to lie. I thought this Blazer collection was pretty decent. But I can understand a lot of fans um, or a lot of kind of fashion critics in general being a little bit tired of the Blazer aesthetic and aesthetic. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that I don't think Demna has an outlet that he can i don't know i think part of it might be the fact that demna doesn't have another outlet that you can maybe put some of this stuff in i feel like there maybe needs to be an outlet like again like a veteran maybe his own namesake brand that he could do where he could put some of those you know ideas of like elevated streetwear elevated everyday wear on and then use Blenciaga as a way to maybe adhere to the codes go back into the archives you know really lean into the couture a bit more and maybe just present a different aesthetic overall but it kind of feels a bit samey but for me I'm still with it like this look you know I'd wear this look in a fucking heartbeat with this kind of you know bedazzled silver bag with a gray suit with a big baggy white t-shirt the pants tucked into the boots like it's very sloppy it's very you know it's very kind of every it's kind of what you'd expect from fucking Balenciaga but definitely it's still a bit fresh it's something that you wouldn't get from any other fucking collection out there and again what a strong way to open the show right you got a guy walking the first dude walking the runway with his top off on the phone with glasses on something that you'd see loads of guys doing in LA jogging down the street and shit so I'm not really too mad at it in that respect I think it did do a good way of kind of illustrating or representing all those dudes that you'd see walking around in LA um out there if anything so yeah big up Demna big up Balenciaga can't wait to see those shoes when they eventually drop can't see them when they eventually drop um okay moving on from that one what should we talk about quickly from here i quickly went to mention oh yeah mention also the stussy nike air flight lows again i think stussy have always smashed it when it comes to nike collaborations i don't think they've missed so far i also like the fact that they're taking chances similar to what supreme do they don't go for like the easy models that will sell really well, like the Air Maxes that everybody knows. And the Air Flight 89s, I feel like haven't got a lot of love at all, if anything. They've been a very overlooked shoe, but definitely one shoe that I've always been a big fan of. So big up um, Stushi for doing that and obviously putting together an entire apparel collection as well. You've got some zip-up hoodies, you've got sweatshirts, you've got shorts, you've got bomber jackets, you've got t-shirts, long sleeves, really, really nicely done. Let's read the blurb here. It says, Nike and Stushi continue the decade-long partnership, creating a capsule wardrobe for everyday living. A reversible take on the classic varsity jacket, sweat-wicking long-sleeve top, water-repellent shorts, and a section of co-branded roomy fleece pants. Still additional um, colours can include fireberry hand banero red and um high voltage keep things fresh sushi has also done a new version of the nike air flight a late 80s basketball style in three colorways featuring faux snakeskin and co-branding on the tongue so you can see the shoe here featured courtesy of hypebeast I think it's a really well done shoe to be fair in terms of collaboration again like i said i don't think stussy miss when it comes to their collabs with shoes so we're going to get up on the screen bear with me a second as it kind of loads there we go go back again i think i clicked the wrong thing let's go there we go let's put it up on here 
So this is a shoe that Stussy have done with Nike. It's a Nike Air Flight 89s. There's pictures of Ye wearing them back in the day. I think maybe like 2015, 2017 era. But again, very cool, um, mid-sized basketball type of shoe that came out again in, in the late 80s. Um, definitely something that I've always been a fan of. Around the same time that you get the Air Trainer 1. So essentially it was a time when Nike were doing a lot of cross-training shoes. And this kind of fell in the same sort of remit. It kind of looks like the same shape as an Air Trainer 1 to be fair. I love the look of them. You've got this really cool white and brown colorway with this faux snakeskin here on the, you know, on the mud guards. I think flaps what you call them. And I also like the dyed, um, you know, midsole here. you got that kind of beige off white midsole that would definitely age really well once you start wearing it but they look really cool and i also like the hit with the double s co-branded here on the outside eyelet as well it looks really nice and i think you might have some labeling on the tongue as well no yeah as well that's really cool too that's a really cool addition you've got the air you've got a nike air written here on the tongue and then you've also got the stussy um written in the script there embroidered on the tongue underneath it so you've got air stussy it looks really cool the brown colorway is really nice you've got the air hit on the back perforated toe box nice quality of leather looks like a tumbled leather oh the leather looks really really good i'm not I'm surprised i didn't know the leather was gonna be that good that's a really good quality of leather it's gonna be nice soft tumbled leather i love that you got this really cool piping um on the on this bit with the brown so this won't stain too easily too that's a really nice detail so probably might explain why the price is so high the red might be the favorite color that that red that pop of red is really fucking nice you got this nice big pop varsity bright red going on there again you got that nice midsole very similar to like a jordan 4 essentially it's the same midsole as a jordan 4 actually if i'm not mistaken same midsole as a jordan 4 you got this nice up um shape midsole look good with shorts or with trousers and shit so i'm really with these as well and again the you know the little swoosh at the top as well is a really nice hit and i think the last color is a is it blue if i'm not mistaken it might be blue let's see what the last color is i think it's a blue color oh no it's a black okay it's a black i thought it's blue but it's a black colorway as well all black colorway which might be my least favorite to be fair i think i do prefer the lighter colorways that white and the red colorway is fucking banging but it's also an all black colorway with a black swoosh again the leather looks really really high quality again so it's nice to have a black shoe with a white midsole to break up the blackness and also the white laces too kind of make it fresh and i'm assuming they'll have extra laces as well included too but they're already sold out anyway so if you want a pair you probably have to get them on StockX. last time i checked they were sold out on the stussy website so you know all sold out every fucking size every color as you can see there and they were selling for 145 so not that bad in terms of pricing and again one of collaboration that's probably not going to get retro anytime soon so if you're looking for a pair of 89s definitely check them out i wouldn't say they're low i'll say they're probably a mid I wouldn't say they're low. I'm surprised they're categorized as a low. I say they're probably more so a mid, but they look really, really cool. I'm not going to lie. I love the look of them. Really, really nice collaboration. And again, just very tastefully done, to be fair. And there's also a video too, promotional video they put together. I'm going to play for you here. It features some skateboarders heading towards an airplane as the t engine of the airplane pushes them back. It's really fucking cool. Let's play the video now. I 
I guess there's some glasses too included there as well. I saw some glasses too, some models are wearing. Maybe the glasses are something that's coming out later, but there's some shades too that look really fucking cool. Even just the logo, Air Stussy. That looks really fucking cool. I'm a big fan of that. So yeah, big up Stussy. Always putting together some cool projects. Um, always choosing interesting models. Always challenging the themselves and the consumer. And yeah, man, it's, you know, it's become maybe a very consistent brand. Maybe even more so than Supreme. They're actually smashing it lately, I feel like. None of their collections have really missed. Stylings are always on point. And yeah, just really, really tastefully done. And again, look how good these look on the skateboard. Look at them. They look fucking awesome. Such a good shoe. Nike Air Flight, Stushi collaboration. Check those out if you're that way inclined. Check those out if you are that way inclined. But for now, that is it for me. Thank you for tuning into the Agassino Zynga Show, episode number 731. I think it's 731. If it isn't, then I do apologize, but I think it is 731. If it's your first time tuning into a show and you like what you hear, you hear what you like, make sure you are sharing it. Leave me a five-star review, liking if you're watching the live stream, or if you're on the audio side of the podcast, of course, leave me a five-star review. That'd be greatly appreciated. Um, as per usual, thank you for everybody tuning in. If you're watching this or listen to it via the live or via the audio side of the platform you will hear my tune today playing underneath my voice so make sure you check that out in the link via the description and i'll see all you guys again very very soon but for now take care thank you for hanging out and peace out my friends peace